good morning. My name is Janet Galante, and I'm one of the ministers here at FCC, and it's so good to worship today. Before we dive into this new series John just mentioned, I do want to highlight one of the announcements he had. Uh, He mentioned the gathering that's coming up this Saturday, and that's just an awesome time for any of you who are on a serving team to come together and get some training and be excited about what God is doing here at FCC. Uh, It's a really fun time for us to celebrate what we've seen happen and what's ahead, how God will continue to be at work in this church. And if you're listening to that and you're thinking, that sounds fun, but I'm not on a serving team, then I just want to encourage you to go to the Connections kiosk after the service today. Join one and you can come. We would love to have everyone there as we talk about how God is at work at this church. Because God's doing great things. And we're going to talk about that some in this series as we explore the DNA of FCC. I love this series. It's such a great way for us to recognize that, first of all, when we talk about our DNA, it's something that affects all of who we are, who we become. It tells us how to develop. It teaches us how to function. It determines that. I just got back from a trip with my family. I visited them up north in Maryland this week. And it was such a great way to be reminded of how they have really shaped me. We are so alike. You know, you see this picture here? I look so much like my mom. I've heard that all the time. I get my freckles from her. And then my sisters and I, we're always told that we have the Kozlowski smile. You can tell us we're related because of that. You can tell that that's what sets us apart. My dad trained us all to like baseball, so we're all rooting for the Orioles to win the World Series this year. And so we have thing after thing that whenever I'm with them, I'm reminded these people shaped me. They helped determine who I'd become. And it's not just things like my freckles or hair color and things like that. It's more than that. They shape my values, my beliefs, my mannerisms even. And that's what our DNA does. It shows us who we are. And this is the image we want to use as we talk about who Jesus made us to be. That we are Jesus' sons and daughters. We are children of God and we want to live in that way. We want to act in such a way that when people see us, they can tell we are members of the family of God. And that this affects everything we do, who we are as a church, who we are as people. So what does it mean for us to live this out, to live the DNA? Well, it means we live like him. We live like Jesus. And what Jesus said you do to live like him is to follow him. That's the first thing we learn, that to live the DNA, we follow Jesus. We become followers. And that's what we're going to dive in today as we look at what it means to be in the family of God, to follow Jesus. We want to explore this over the next few weeks because all of the commands that we're going to see of the DNA of FCC, they flow out of this. They flow out of following Jesus. And we know we start here because this is what Jesus said to everyone as he went about his life. He was calling people, person after person, come, follow me. This is what it means to look like I do, to walk the way I do. This is the invitation he put before people. Follow me. And today we're going to spend some time in the book of Matthew exploring this because we see it all throughout the Gospels. We're going to look at a few examples of what this invitation looks like. So we see here in Matthew 4, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, whoa, there we go. Um, There's a good introduction for scripture. All right, Matthew 4, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. 
They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. That's the first invitation we get in the book of Matthew, to follow me. These are the first disciples Jesus has. So we see from this, what do we notice? Well, first of all, it's an interruption. Jesus comes up in the middle of whatever they're doing and says, follow me. All of them, Peter, Andrew, James, John, they were a little busy. They were in the middle of something. They weren't exactly sitting around just waiting for someone to talk to them. And yet Jesus interrupts them with this call. Follow me. The call to follow Jesus is an interruption. We see this all throughout scripture, and they say yes to the interruption. They drop their nets, they leave their boats, they leave their father, and they go. They follow Jesus. So how does Jesus call his disciples? He interrupts them. He gives them that call to follow him. Jesus' invitation is an interruption that changes what they're doing. We see that in a, a lot of other places throughout scripture as well. Matthew 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. And again, we see Matthew's in the middle of his job. He's at work, he's at his tax collector's booth, and he got up and followed Jesus. Jesus interrupted him. It's a pattern now that we see Jesus interrupts people time and time again to call them to follow him. He doesn't wait until a more convenient time. He comes right then. He doesn't wait until Matthew's ready to take a break. He asks him right then. He interrupts Matthew's life with this call. And this time, we get to see a little bit more about this interruption. As the passage continues, we find out that tax collectors were considered sinners, that people sneered at Jesus for being around Matthew. See this. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, because I, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We learned something really important here. We don't want to miss this. Jesus' interruption is full of grace. It's full of grace. That's what allows Jesus to come to Matthew and invite him. He meets him where he is. Because remember, tax collectors were considered sinners. The Pharisees would never be seen hanging out with them. And that's who Jesus calls. That's who Jesus invites. The Pharisees only wanted to be around the best people, the right kind of people, the people who seemed to have it all together, not the tax collectors. And that's who Jesus called. That's who Jesus says, come follow me. So not only is Jesus' call to follow him an interruption, but it's the most welcoming interruption in the world. And we don't want to miss that, that it's the most grace-filled interruption in the world. Jesus interrupts with arms wide open, saying, Matthew, come on, come with me. You are welcome here. You can come follow me. The Pharisees judged Matthew, but it didn't matter. Matthew was invited. Matthew was called. And Jesus says, all it takes for you to follow me is that you follow me. That you start wherever you are. He says it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinner. So Matthew qualifies as that, that he is welcome. And that teaches us that, hey, wherever you are today, 
Whatever you've done, you are welcome here. You are welcome to follow Jesus. Because Jesus' instruction to follow him is an interruption with open arms, full of grace. Matthew's invited, and so are you. And we notice this, that what we have to see, what did it take for Matthew to be considered a disciple from this moment? What happened? Well, Matthew followed him. That's it. All he did was get up and leave. He went in the direction of Jesus. He followed Jesus. He didn't wait until he was ready and said, let me finish what I'm doing here. Let me get myself a little bit cleaned up first, and then I'll come follow you. Matthew followed Jesus, and that's what made him a follower of Jesus. He followed Jesus, so he was a follower of Jesus. Simple as that. He left his booth and went with him. It didn't matter how good he was or how ready he was. It mattered that Matthew was following Jesus. And this is such an important truth for us to notice today. To start following Jesus, we need to follow Jesus. To get up and go. That's where we start. That we don't hit a certain mark before we're ready. That we don't have to be perfect in every single way. All we have to do is actually follow Jesus. That's what it takes. That's how we go. I like to think of it this way. A lot of you know that I like to run. I've talked about that a fair amount of time. And sometimes I'll tell people that I'm a runner and I get different responses. You know, people will try to size me up, see if I'm a good enough runner in their eyes. I remember telling someone once that I had run a marathon a few days ago and he just looked at me and said, but did you win? With this snooty tone as if, who even really cares that you ran this race if you didn't win? I mean, what does it even matter? And I remember just saying back, well, I beat you. Because the fact was, he didn't run the race. And I ran. By running it all, I was beating him. He sat around on his couch that weekend. He didn't run. And I could call myself a runner because I ran. Who cared that it was the worst race I had ever done? I ran, so I was a runner. That's what it takes to be a runner. And I think that goes both ways. Sometimes I'll talk to people who aren't really proud of where they are, but they do run, and they'll say things like, I mean, I run, but I'm not really a runner. I'm just so slow, and I can't get out there that much, and when I do, I don't go very far, and I'm out of breath, so I'm not really a runner. I just run sometimes. And what I want to say to them is, well, a runner is someone who runs. That's what a runner is. It doesn't matter how slow you are if you're out of breath. A runner is someone who runs. It doesn't matter if you have the right gear on, if you have the fanciest clothes in the world, the best shoes, or if you found a t-shirt at Goodwill that says you ran a marathon. A runner is someone who runs. And a follower of Jesus is someone who follows Jesus, who gets up and moves, who goes. That's what it takes, that we wouldn't be about comparing speed with one another, but that we would actually be moving. So we see that we follow Jesus by doing what Jesus does, by following his direction. That as we go about our lives, we would take a look and see, okay, Jesus prayed, so I think we're called to pray too. Jesus worshiped, so I'm going to worship as well. Jesus cared for the poor. That's something I need to be doing too. And that we're not here comparing each other and thinking about winning, because the call to follow Jesus isn't an invitation to a contest. It's an invitation to an interruption. And it's an invitation to open arms to the grace of God extending to you wherever you are today. That you are welcome. All you have to do is get started. 
that Jesus is beckoning you, inviting you, saying, come on, let's go, let's go on this journey. Come, follow me. I was with someone a few weeks ago who told me that one of the things she struggles about most when it comes to going to church is looking around and feeling like everyone else is so much farther ahead of her on their journeys. Like they have it together or know what it means to be a Christian in a way that she doesn't yet. And if you're in that boat today, what I want to say to her is that that's not what it's meant to be about. That we're not meant to be comparing each other. We're just meant to move. We're meant to go. We're meant to follow Jesus, to not wait until our lives are so put together that we can follow Jesus, but to go. And I hope this series, as we unpack all these practical ways that you can follow Jesus, I hope it doesn't make you feel so bad about yourself or something that you stop following Jesus, that you just stand still. Because following Jesus requires movement. Movement. And maybe you thought that to follow Jesus, you had to be perfect. You had to get in shape first, to be ready. And I think Matthew's story shows us that's just not true. Does he seem ready to you? I mean, he's sitting in a tax collector's booth. He's not exactly ready to be a candidate for rabbi training. He's not in the place you'd expect him to be. And yet he followed Jesus. So you can start from anywhere. I sometimes hear people talk about needing to get their lives straight before they'll take the next step with God, before they'll truly follow Jesus. I'll start coming back and I'll start committing my life to Jesus once I get sober. So give me a few weeks. I have a few big events coming up. Or I'll start following Jesus once I start reading the Bible every day. Once I get that habit under control, then maybe I'll show up. Once I live a purer life, then I can start following Jesus. We add all these qualifiers that we can do this and do this, and then we can recommit. Then we can commit our lives to Jesus. And that's just not what Jesus calls us to. Jesus calls you to follow him, to get up and go, to move. Just do it. No matter where you are today, because remember, it's an interruption that whatever we're in the middle of, you are called to follow Jesus. That Jesus is interrupting your life right now. And he's interrupting your life with grace. Will you let him interrupt you? Will you lift up your head long enough to see that Jesus is calling you and saying, come, be with me, follow me, you are welcome here. That Jesus is full of grace and love inviting you. Or maybe you're on the other side and you're tempted to act like a Pharisee, to look around and notice people who you think are farther behind you, so you've kind of taken a break. You've decided, I can stop running because I'm good. I've made it now. I'm in a good spot. But what I say to that is, again, if you're not running, you're not a runner. And if you're not following Jesus, you're not a follower of Jesus. You have a next step, too that Jesus would keep interrupting your life time and time again as you mold your life to Jesus. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It requires movement. So continue to move. Don't be the person who stops running because you think you're good. That's what it takes for us to follow Jesus. And anyone can follow Jesus. There's not a requirement for how you start. All it takes is that you would reprioritize your life around Jesus wherever you are, that you don't hit that certain point before you start following Jesus. 
because the bar for entry is low. You can start from anywhere. The call to follow Jesus is an interruption, but it's a welcoming, inviting interruption. It's an interruption full of grace. But it's also an interruption to surrender. We see grace and surrender at the same time. This is an interruption of challenge, and Jesus teaches us what it truly means to follow him. We see another place in Matthew. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So anyone can be a disciple. Anyone can be a follower. All you have to do is follow. But what we see here is how do we follow Jesus? Will we submit our lives before him? That's what it takes. We surrender every thought, every desire, every plan to God. Jesus tells us, deny yourselves, take up your cross and follow him. And Jesus asks for nothing less than our entire lives. Then complete surrender of your desires, of your priorities, of your plans. And maybe you have a little bit of whiplash from that. I know we just talked about, okay, Jesus welcomes all of you. But it's an interruption of grace. Wherever you are, you are welcome to follow Jesus. You don't have to clean up your life before you follow Jesus. You can get started. And now we're saying, but it also requires that you surrender your entire life. And I think that's the tension there that we see, that Jesus welcomes every single one of us, that we are welcome to follow him, but the cost is high. What he invites us to is big. It's nothing less than laying down our lives and submitting our life to him. Nothing less than complete surrender. The call to follow Jesus is an interruption of surrender. And a lot of times I think it's easy for us to forget that part. We forget it. We forget that Jesus calls us to lay our lives down. We're at risk of dressing like Christians, of calling ourselves Christians, but not really following Jesus, not acting like a Jesus follower, not going in the direction of Jesus. Here's a way to think of it. I think of how in the last decade or so, Wearing activewear has become more of a trend. You know, activewear meaning leggings, sweatpants, t-shirts, whatever. Uh, we do that a lot more than we used to maybe as a society. But here's the thing about activewear. Did you know you can wear it and not be active? I mean, you can put on sweatpants and uh, tennis shoes and not do anything. And there's jokes about this. There's parodies of people you know, wearing the nicest Under Armour and Nike and then going to the grocery store or taking a nap, or eating tons of food while they watch a movie. I think that parody's about me. I mean, it's so easy. We see this all the time, that you can wear active wear without being active. I saw one joke. I, I love this. It said, yoga pants and a t-shirt. Did I just wake up or get off the treadmill? No one will ever know. And I think that's so accurate, that we can wear active wear without actually being active. And this is sort of what we do as followers of Jesus, isn't it? That we can wear the clothes as followers of Jesus. We can kind of 
give ourselves some of those marks without following Jesus. We can dress like Christians and not follow. So are you putting on the nicest sneakers you own and going for a run, or are you letting them sit in the corner and get dusty? Are you showing up on Sunday morning, hearing the word of God, and not letting it convict your heart? Are you talking to the nice neighbor who lives across the street who's a Christian and telling them you're a Christian, but then avoiding, well, the kind of weirdo who lives down the street who everyone else ignores, so you're just going to ignore too? Are you talking in words of love around certain people, and then by Monday morning, you're speaking with bitterness, bullying, gossip? Are we just dressing up like Christians rather than actually following Jesus? Because we're called to reorder our priorities around Jesus, to submit all of that to God's path to our lives, to lay it all down. Jesus' call to follow him is an interruption. And every time Jesus says, follow me, it's an interruption. So my question for you today is this. Is your life being interrupted by Jesus? Is your life actually interrupted, or is your life just business as usual? Because if Jesus doesn't change your life, then are you sure it's Jesus you're following? If your life is the same as if Jesus didn't exist, then are you sure you're following Jesus? Because every time Jesus calls someone to follow him, it's an interruption. It changes them. They stop in their tracks and they go in a new direction. The call to follow Jesus should interrupt your life. We see this over and over again. That we would hope that we would see it. And do you wonder to yourself right now, how are you seeing it? Is your generosity being interrupted by Jesus? If you're just as generous as you were before, then your generosity hasn't been interrupted. If you're just as forgiving as you would be without Jesus in your life, then you're heart hasn't been interrupted. If you're making the same choices for how you treat people, maybe in dating, in marriage, or in relationships outside of that, then your character hasn't been interrupted. Has your life been interrupted by Jesus? Jesus interrupts people all throughout scripture. It's really kind of like one constant interruption if you look at the gospel story. He's chiming in all the time saying, pray like this, worship this, I direct you to this. He commands us to how we would live So don't think you've already arrived because there's more interruptions to come. That Jesus has more for you. That Jesus will keep interrupting your life as you live, saying this is your priority. This is how you were called to live. And this is a hard truth for us to take. It's hard to do. It was hard for the people in the Bible, too. In Matthew 8, we see a story of this. It says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So the first guy, we see he knew the law. He was a teacher of the law, but was he ready to follow it? Was he ready to accept the fact that this would even still interrupt his life as a teacher of the law, that he wouldn't be able to rest and take it easy anymore? And then the second guy, we see he wanted to wait until his father died so he could bury him. 
His father wasn't even dead yet. He wanted to wait until that happened and finish burying him, and then he would fully devote his life to Jesus. He had a qualifier. Let me just get this done first, then I'll come along. And Jesus says, this is what the call is, that you would interrupt this exact moment that you are in and surrender completely. That we wouldn't just dress the part, but we would truly follow Jesus. So are you ready to let Jesus interrupt your life? To follow Jesus, to give up whatever you are in the middle of and come to Jesus. Because Jesus interrupts us with grace. He's welcoming you. He's saying, wherever you are, you can come. Come be with me. And he's interrupting our lives with surrender. It's an interruption to Jesus' open arms. And it's an interruption to our very own bent knees. That we would bow down to Jesus and lay everything else at his feet. Let Jesus' grace interrupt you today. That Jesus is saying, you don't have to wait until you're good enough. I want you today. Jesus is welcoming you. Jesus is calling you. Just take a step. Wherever you've been, whoever you are, whatever's happened in your life, Jesus wants you. Jesus invites you. And Jesus loves you. So take him up onto this interruption of grace today. Follow Jesus. It's an interruption of open arms and an interruption of bent knees. Because we are called to surrender. Jesus wants nothing less than all of you. Every single part of your life that you would lay it down before him. In this life, there are so many things that we are called to bow down to, so to speak, right? We all worship something. We're all on our knees, bowing down to something. Maybe it's yourself. The world tells us to bow down to our own happiness and joy or our finances, our career, our goals. Is that what you're bowing down to today? Jesus is calling you to surrender to him. That that would be the place that would become our altar. We would put our desires, our image all down there as we make Jesus our priority. And this is actually what our church has been trying to do since it was founded. That's why we're doing this series. We're trying to follow Jesus, to make him first in our lives as an entire church. And we remember that through this thing that we call the DNA of FCC. We've done this for a long time, and we call it the DNA because it's Jesus' DNA. It's not something new that we've thought of. We haven't invented this. All of this has come from scriptures. We see how Jesus lived and how we want to live like Jesus. We've done this for more than 100 years. We started it when we started the church in 1871, that this is our heritage. In every item, we see it comes from Jesus' commands, love God, love everyone, make disciples, and tell your story. That's what we'll unpack over the next few weeks, because Jesus says those things repeatedly and directly. And we've come up with lots of different ways over the years to remind ourselves of these things. Ethan found a poster from 97 that they used to show how we could live our lives with these commands. So we did a poster once, or there's been a bunch of Bible studies that we've shaped around these things. Uh, and then over 100 years ago, we first turned the commands into four simple challenges. Attend, study, serve, and invite. And when we did that, everyone got a chance to sign a card saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow Jesus. And that happened for the first time in 1922. And then they did it again and again for a couple of decades after that. They recommitted that we are going to do this. We are going to follow Jesus together. 
And there was a little break from that. We did some other things, other ways that we could live out this DNA and teach it to this church. And then last year, we did it again. If you were here last year, we took up these challenges. We signed a card. We said, I'm going to commit to doing these things, to following Jesus. And that's what we're going to do again with this series. And we do it over and over again repeatedly because this is what we want to commit to. This is who we are as a church. This is our heritage. We want to follow Jesus. We don't want to get tired of following Jesus, of making that our goal, our aim. So what does it look like? to follow Jesus. Well, what does it look like to run? And I know I use this silly little running illustration, but I hope it helps you as you think through, there's a difference between saying you're a runner and actually running, and there's a difference between talking about following Jesus, between quoting the Bible and actually living it out, between getting up and letting your life be interrupted by Jesus, because Jesus' commands are clear. So we experience God's grace today and we experience God's surrender today. We're gonna to talk about those practices over the next few weeks and get super specific that following Jesus looks like worship. It looks like worshiping God above everything else the world calls us to. Following Jesus looks like service, putting the needs of other people first and giving up our time to serve one another. Following Jesus looks like discipleship, that we continue to learn together and strive to be more like Jesus with one another, raise other people up and train them how to be disciples as well. And following Jesus looks like telling the world what we've seen, how God is at work in the world, sharing the good news. And we'll talk about those practical ways to follow Jesus. But I want you to remember this isn't a checklist. This isn't something we do it once and we're done, but this is a pattern of life. That we would do these as habits, that we would constantly follow Jesus, that we would let Jesus interrupt our lives. That as we learn these practices, we would be able to ask ourselves, am I really following? Am I moving? Am I taking a next step or am I standing still? Am I submitting my life to Jesus? Because a runner is someone who runs, and a follower of Jesus is someone who follows Jesus. And none of this is about trying to make each other feel bad for not doing it well enough. Because remember, it's not a comparison. It's not a contest. It's an interruption. Jesus is interrupting your life today. And we're going to go through these things over the next few weeks together as we get specific and practical. But today I want to say to you, don't wait until next week. Don't wait until we get to each week of this series to decide what you're gonna do. Let Jesus interrupt your life today, in this moment. Let Jesus interrupt your grace, your life with grace right now, that you would experience that anew, even if you've experienced it before, that you would remember Jesus is calling you right where you are. You are welcome. And experience Jesus' interruption of surrender that you would lay everything down before him, that we would put our lives down knowing that as that passage says, that Jesus will give us more than we ever asked for or could imagine. That's what we are putting before God today. So I don't know what you came here today with. What are you holding on to? I don't know if you came feeling angry about something or frustrated. I don't know if you came thinking about your to-do list for the next week or you're in the middle of school and you're thinking about what's ahead, your new routine. Whatever you're holding on to, Jesus is asking you to lay it down 
to put it at his feet right now, that we would surrender together because Jesus is calling us with open arms, but he's calling us to bent knees. Will we bend our knees and surrender today? Will you pray with me? God, we ask right now that we would be able to let go of whatever we're carrying, that we would put it at your feet. We see that happen, that so many people dropped what they were doing and they ran after you, and we know you were calling us to that too. I ask right now that you would interrupt our lives, that we would come to you. Show us what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.